Welcome to Robotics 24-7's webcast on Managing and Optimizing Fleets of Mobile Robots. And thanks to our sponsors, Nvidia Robotics, Mobile Industrial Robots, and Sinterver Systems. Before we get into our discussion, uh, let's quickly review some housekeeping items. If you are having any trouble with the sound, uh, please make sure that your speakers are on. Uh, there will also be an opportunity to submit questions throughout that we will try to answer toward the end of this webcast. Any questions we don't get to, we'll make sure to send the speakers afterwards. Also, please remember to fill out the survey at the conclusion of this event. In addition, uh, make sure that you check out our downloadable resources in the resources box in the ON24 interface. If you have any technical problems, first try to refresh your browser but you can also try to check with our help icon below. I'm Eugene Dimitri, the Editorial Director at Robotics 24-7. And as you know, mobile robots and managing them and getting the uh, best results is a, is a hot topic. And so joining me today are Lior Elizare, co-founder and CEO of Nvidia Robotics, Matt Fitzgerald, director of product management at Sinterver Systems, and Matt Charles, sales director for the Midwest and Canada at Mobile Industrial Robots. Welcome, gentlemen. Eugene. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, so we're going to have a brief introduction from each person, and then we'll get into our conversation. Lior, why don't you take it away? Thank you, Eugene. Uh, great to be here for the slide uh, to load up. Cool. So uh, at Inbio Robotics, we're solving one of the most difficult challenges uh, that are facing e-commerce today. So in particular, it's random access to items, to SKUs. Um, if you look at a typical warehouse, one of the biggest thing is to get to every single point as quickly as possible. Uh, what you can see here in the video is a 250,000 square foot facility. Every one of these dots is a particular item that a person has to pick really quickly. The way we solve this challenge is by creating picker walls that are being built by robots. So the robots take all the orders for the day, build those walls that you see there in green, and then a person can come in and pick through those very, very quickly. And on top of the whole system, we actually provide a labor management to decide who should go and pick when, when should a robot fulfill this. And you can see this in action over here, right? The robots are picking those items, placing them on the shelf. And as they're doing so, a person on the other side is taking those item totes for those particular orders. Here's, you can see another person picking from this and we're able to achieve very, very high rates. You can see here about 720 UPH, it's close to 700 lines per hour. So very unique items. And as he's picking, the robots are replacing the totes for him. So that same facility that you saw, the 250,000 square foot, we're basically reducing it to about 10% of it. You can see everything concentrated on the right side. And with our system, at being robotics, you can grow up to mezzanines and you can grow your volume or grow the robots or grow the space as the need provide. You don't have to project 10 years into the future. So we're very excited by it. Our customers are very happy with the amount of performance that we're looking at getting from each uh, individual person. Uh, go to the next slide. 
So, let's see, loading. Okay, yeah. So in Invia Robotics, right, we do more than just the robots, right? We're looking at how do we measure productivity and how do we increase a particular person's productivity? And we do this by looking at everything holistically. So it's not just the robots, it's also managing the people themselves and when should they be picking that sort of labor optimization aspect of it. And with the particular workflow with our Pickerwall award-winning workflow, we're able to achieve 10x productivity gains from people in this type of environment, in the random access to this. And on top of all, we do this as robotic as a service, where instead of deciding you know, how many robots I should have, how should I maintain the robots, when should I buy them, we basically take care of all that for you and what you're paying and the way that we get the payments is based on the productivity of the robots. Uh, and that really aligns our incentives with our customers. Our customers are trying to get as many orders out the door as possible, right? And we are as a robotic company, as the expert, making sure that the systems are doing that as quickly as possible. So thank you very much, Eugene, for having me here. Very excited for the uh, panel and the next talk. Thanks, Nior. Matt? Matt, you might be on mute. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm Matt Fitzgerald. I'm part of uh, Six River Systems. We're part of the uh, large e-commerce company Shopify that many of you may have know of or even purchased products from. Um, I focus on product management on robotics and automation, and thinking about what ways can we optimize the warehouse? How can our robots be used to maximize throughput in people's uh, facilities? And all in all, just understanding their problems. And with that, we, we think a lot about, you know, how do we fulfill faster? What are the things we need to do to have people do more and sometimes with less? And we really challenge ourselves every day thinking about your challenges as a warehouse operator. So we think about labor. We all know this, like this is the year of what the great resignation or the past two years have been. People are changing jobs. It's hard to find reliable labor that wants to do these kind of jobs. So what can we do when we wake up in the morning? What can we do to solve those challenges for you? How can we make you more productive in your in your day-to-day -day operation? We know that you know, online commerce or ordering direct from warehouse and having it shipped to you has really accelerated the past year. So what are the things we can do to help you be more productive and add tools and robots and software that can add value to your organization? And most of all, like we wanna be flexible. We gotta figure out how to work in the warehouse that you have. We don't wanna uproot your infrastructure or cause a lot of changes that you need to make. We wanna work within your facility, the way it's laid out and optimize things around that. And our robot can adapt and is very flexible there. This is a key thing that we think about and talk about all the time. And we're also always very concerned about health and safety. Are these robots safe? How can we make your operation safer? How can we make sure that people are having a good, healthy experience using the products? Because we know if we don't harmonize all these things, it can cause some warehouse inefficiency. So with that, I'd like to show you a quick video rather than talking through it. It's almost like a live demo of our Chuck robot. You know, some of the benefits are it eliminates the long walk. It reduces in-aisle walking because we optimize the pick path and it speeds up the task. Typically we have faster results uh, than manual carts alone. So with that, I'll play this video and I'll be back in a moment.
There's no doubt warehouse automation has increased productivity, but most warehouses today rely on technology that's rigid and inflexible. Six River Systems has invented a more flexible, collaborative approach. Meet Chuck. Chuck is an intelligent mobile robot already working for the best-known 3PLs, retailers, and manufacturers, streamlining the flow of products, people, and work throughout the warehouse. In the time it takes a traditional cart to make one pick, Chuck has made two and is already working on the third. Chuck was built with the same technology and sensors as autonomous vehicles, doesn't require warehouse changes, and comes in various shapes, sizes, and configurations to support any tote or carton size required in your operation. So how does Chuck work? A day in the life of Chuck starts at Induct. Six River Systems' intelligent work allocation software looks across the entire order pool and seeks opportunities to group work together within an aisle or dynamic zone to minimize walking. Six River Systems' artificial intelligence creates dynamic zones for associates. Zones are shrinking and expanding in real time, depending on the profile of work that needs to be completed. With pick and pass across dynamic zones, Six River Systems ensures that both your associates and Chucks are fully utilized throughout the day. Chuck also looks at other tasks based on the associate's active zone, like interleaving picks, replenishment, counts, and moves, for maximum efficiency. Once containers are loaded, Chuck eliminates the long walk by bringing the work directly to the associates in the active area, moving autonomously from zone to zone and meeting the associates near their last known pick location. Once the associate is finished with one Chuck, the second Chuck will already be waiting nearby, ensuring a seamless transition from robot to robot. Chuck leads that associate through their zone or moves them to a more optimal zone, ensuring your labor is always positioned for the most effective picking. Chuck stops at each pick location and displays the product image along with the location and quantity required, confirming pick accuracy and using put to light to indicate which tote the product should go into. When the tasks are done, a new Chuck is again waiting to help the associate continue their work seamlessly. Meanwhile, Chuck number one travels alone to the next destination. Chuck can sort exceptions from completed orders and deliver orders to different points across the warehouse, where the workflow continues. Speaking of continuing, Chuck is a reliable team member. So that was a little bit of an overview of how our system works and Chuck works. I'd love to give you that demo in person, but we're all remote, so we, we went with the video there. So Eugene, thank you for the time, and um, I'm gonna pass it over to Matt Charles now. Thank you. Matt? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I'm Matt Charles with Mir. I got a quick video just kind of showed you guys just as an introduction to what we get involved with. But we are a, a an autonomous mobile robot manufacturer. So we uh, are looking to automate the internal logistics of manufacturing and non-manufacturing side of things. So think about when a product comes into a facility from the receiving dock. Uh, there's fork trucks traditionally in that space unloading the vehicles. Then uh, they can put that into a space in an area, carts or pallet racks that we pick off of, bring that to the line and automate everything everything inside of that process. And then once the product's finished and there's a finished good pallet of some sort, we can take that from the end of line to the shipping dock and really, like Matt said, keep the, the area safer, uh, make sure the environment's uh, you know, enjoyable for employees and something that we can help deploy those workers in more valuable, rewarding type of tasks. Um, as a company, 
let me flip to the next slide here. We offer uh, a quick overview here of, of the offerings that we have from a, a platform standpoint. So we go from 100 kilogram payloads up to 1,350 kilogram payloads. They are all very similar from a software suite perspective. They've got uh, LIDAR scanners um, to, to localize, navigate, uh, navigate around safely, detect objects, <clears throat> and they uh, also have the ability to do auto charging. So I've got auto chargers on this slide as well. And then the, the fleet server that we'll touch on later in the, in the, the chat here. But that fleet server is the, the software piece that's controlling everything and, and having everything like, uh, pick from a certain area and telling it what mission to complete and where to take that, uh, that, that product. Near as a whole, we, uh, we're, we were acquired by Teradyne. So we're part of that uh, Teradyne Industrial Automation Group. Uh, we like to say that we were born globally, so our headquarters is over in Denmark, and we've got partners throughout the world, so over 200-plus partners in over 60 countries. So really trying to have that local resource for, for your facility and your site, we'd be glad to, to work with you on, on getting a robot to your plant, doing a proof of concept, helping you guys understand how this technology works, and it's really all part of the education process for that. So I've got my information here on this QR code. Feel free to scan it, reach out to me and our team, and we'd be glad to, to help you guys out. So with that, I'll pass it over to Eugene. Thanks, Matt. And uh, thank you all. And now to really drill down into the challenges uh, around mobile robots, you know, we hear a lot about, and, and I think each of you mentioned, the shortages of skilled labor that are affecting pretty much every industry. Um, how is that propelling robotics adoption and deployment. What are you seeing? Uh, let's start with Matt Fitzgerald. Thanks, Eugene. Um, you know, we follow this really closely. And one of the things we really resonated with us is we looked at this survey done and it found that less than half of operations professionals rank their company at being very good at these things like productivity, retention, employee satisfaction. So we're, we're always thinking about ways like how do we make the facility better? How do we make the individual associates life better? What are some of the things we can do to maximize that productivity and hopefully someday, you know, get these numbers up that people feel like they're they're doing those, uh, they're adding value and able to get a better rating on this uh, satisfaction survey. And with that, one of the things I did talk about earlier that, um, or the demo talked about earlier is we have this idea of like having the right people in the right place at the right time. And that's all about, you know, being really intelligent in directing the people and the associates to the right place where they add value. And like Matt was saying, let, let the robots do the walking or do the things that the, uh, the people don't need to do. So we'll, we have this algorithm that was born on productivity and thinking about like, how do we get you to the right spot at the right time? Let the robot do the longer travel and assign the individual associate to a new robot and make a robot easy to use. So it's easily adopted. and. I've heard anecdotes from folks talking about how they've been able to attract labor because our robots are adding value to their organization and they've chosen to work at their warehouse other than others. I heard the direct story from someone last summer visiting. So that's a, a brief blurb from, from us about this, back to Eugene or any of the other folks that might have some ideas there. You know, Matt, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah. No, um, no we're staying so obviously, right, with e-commerce blowing up like it has been labor has been extremely uh, short to say the least, right? And it's not only because of 
the hardship, right, that some people are working in the particular warehouses, don't really want to do this job. COVID has just really accelerated that whole piece, right? People would rather stay home ordering the order, right? Ordering the items, expecting the people to come for them. So same thing, right, as Matt mentioned, what we're trying to do at the company is how do we multiply the effectiveness of the current employees, right? The people who want to work at the warehouse, how do we get them to operate at 10X their productivity? So instead of, you know, walking around, let again, like the robot do the walking, let them stand still. On top of it, we also look at, you know, how do we make their job more enjoyable? How do we get them to say, hey, you know what? I want to be a warehouse worker. Um, that's with the invention of our picker. Well, one of the things we're doing is we're doing creating this buffer, right, where people don't have to be robots. You don't have to operate like traditional automations. You're expecting the person to be a robot, right, to operate on a one-to-one -one basis. Here you have this buffer. So it was going to the bathroom, jumping on a call, doing something else. Robots are still doing their work while you can come in and burst. So... This is some of the things that we work really hard on. Uh, if you imagine, you know, the old Lucy episode, right, where she's trying to pick up those bonbons from the conveyor belt, right? We're trying to make her be the robot arms, and we're not really good robots, and that's why a lot of times people have a hard time in the warehouse. And with traditional automation, right, this is what we're expecting of people. And obviously, you know, introducing robots into the field allows you to add this automation as quickly as possible, be able to train the people, right, be as intuitive as possible. So that is another big aspect, right, to try to combat this later labor shortage. Um, hand it off to you, Matt. If, uh, second, Matt, and Matt Charles. Yeah, no, ditto what you guys said. We're, we're seeing the exact same thing. It's, uh, it's, it's a big challenge for, for all sorts of manufacturers and non-manufacturers out there to, to, to find the labor right now is, is really the, the number one source of automation is, is why people are coming to us. So, yeah, I won't. Well, since you're just talking about the importance of obviously maximizing your human labor with robotics, um, how important is it to uh, design for ease of use or the, the human machine interaction side of things? Because it's one thing to have a mobile robot that moves around in a warehouse, right? That's already a challenge. But then you have to add in those human factors. Um, are why don't you start on this one? Sure. So, you know, again, traditional type of automation was fairly simple to understand, right? You had a conveyor belt, moves an item from point A to point B, always moves it in that way, doesn't turn, doesn't change direction, doesn't do something more intelligent. And that was very easy to interface. Nowadays, with a lot of the technology that we're introducing and other folks are introducing into the field, they're becoming more complex. They're taking on more of the work, more of the jobs. And in return, the interfaces have to be as intuitive as possible, right? What a person might think a robot will do, uh, you really got to sort of, you know, build that interface so you understand ahead of time for that person what that robot will do so he can do the appropriate thing, right? And again, all that comes down to productivity, right? If a robot wants to go in one direction and a person goes in a different direction, that is really important to link the two to make sure that they're doing. Otherwise, productivity will suffer. Right, so one of the things we build uh, in our system is not just the robots, but also the interfaces to be as realistic as possible. In some sense, our interfaces are very much like an augmented reality, but on a display that the person works with it. And he can understand a lot of the tasks that he's in charge of. And if there's any issues, he can kind of see what are the issues, what's going on, so they can make the right call at the right time. And again, all that comes back to the productivity, right, with the shortage of labor, we want to get that labor as productive as possible. And on top of it, right, 
during the peak season around November, a lot of December, a lot of people just bring in people with not any experience in the warehouse. So now you have somebody with almost no knowledge where you have to get them up to speed as quickly as possible. And when I mean up to speed, right, that's up to productive uh, speeds to get them through those high productivity numbers. And that's the same thing, right? So we work a lot with the interfaces and a lot of times we just test it, you know, pull somebody up the street, how quickly can you actually pick uh, and get to those high level of productivity that we're uh, doing. And usually within an hour uh, of training time, right? It's that's as much as they need, they can get to those very high productivity gains. So that's something that we work a lot on is the, the interfaces, the UI, UX, to provide that holistic approach, right, to the robots, again, to get that these people to be as productive as possible. And, and Matt Fitzgerald, I know that uh, one of the big things about Sister Systems, Chuck's obviously, is that, uh, and I've had the pleasure of, of interacting with them, is that they are also very much designed with humans in mind. Absolutely. You know, um, I've spent the past uh, decade or so working at collaborative robot companies, you know, and it's always they're safe, easy to use, and affordable. And this easy to use thing is so important to us at uh, Six River. We have a screen that shows you the SKU, what the product looks like. You scan it, and the scan confirms if you've got the right product or not. It, we have lights on each side of the robot that highlight the tote that you're going to put it in. We have it's ergonomically built, so you can push the robot with your hands if you need to. You can hit one hand to pause it or hit an emergency stop if you should. We spend a lot of time looking at these different uh, facets of the job and figure out how do we make this as easy as possible? Because like Lior was talking about, you know, I, they, I was uh, grateful to be able to spend the second week of December or the first week of December at one of our customer sites during peak of this year, you know. It's a few weeks out from the uh, the holidays. Everybody's trying to get their orders in. The day I showed up to support our customer over the weekend and just observe, they had 21 new people that showed up that day to work. Temp labor. So how do you train people that fast? Like that really resonated with me and I carried that back to the team when we were working on this. But I'm happy to report they're able to train people in a matter of a couple hours, if not less time, and make them as effective um, as the picker right next to them and this customer was able to hit all their orders and get all their orders out for the holiday season. So we really do spend a lot of time thinking about what are the things we can do to, you know, make it easy for people to do their job and do it fast. And when I was visiting that site, one of the customer, one of the associates came up to me in the aisle and he's like, you know what I love about this? He's like, at the end of the day, when I'm getting tired and I'm not thinking as clearly, I'm sure everyone on this call can resonate with that. He's like, I don't have to think, is that item in, aisle 10 or is it in aisle one? And he talked about how sometimes when he had a different, when he had a scanner, he'd walk to the wrong aisle, only he walked 10 aisles away to realize, oh, I gotta go back to that aisle. He's like, I never do that with Chuck because Chuck leads me on how to get there. So it's, it's really important, I think, to help people all the way along the way. And especially at the end of the day when we're all tired and uh, like me, I mean, that's for sure. And Matt, while, while I have you on, you know, one of the things yep. that, and this is for all three of you, we'll start with Matt Fitzgerald on this, no two warehouses or distribution centers are alike, right? They're all unique. Um, and how much customization do you do with your technology and with the end user and, and of your robots? It's a great question. And no two facilities are unique. 
but we try to make the most flexible robot as possible. We don't want to be able to, we don't want to have to have, you know, new bolt down automation. I think part of the, uh, you know, not talked about as much about uh, collaborative robots, whether it's collaborative mobile robots or collaborative robot arms is the, the flexibility and the ability to adapt and work inside the customer's facility. And we had this exact challenge. I'd like to highlight a slide here. I think we all know who Crocs are. Um, I may have some Crocs on now, but I'm not going to show you my feet. But, you know, it's all about working from home and being comfortable. And Crocs really saw an uptick in business in 2020, and they had to keep up with it. So we went in there and worked with them. And we, in a matter of a few months, were able to get a, you know, just over 500,000 square foot facility up and running. And we really partnered with them, and they were able to hit all their numbers at the end of that peak season. So, you know, each of our deployments is unique and custom in a lot of ways. We meet with our customers, we partner with them, and we suggest what we think they need to do to optimize around the chuck in our whole Six River system. And we meet their needs, and most of the times we exceed their uh, expectation for throughput. So I think this is a, a great example, because you can see here they, they achieved 182% rate improvement, and this was like a pop-up distribution center. They didn't know they needed this. They figured out they did, and we, we partnered with them and went on. And I'm sure the other fellows here have some examples of how they quickly partnered with people as well, the flexibility. So Matt, Charles, did you have any uh, examples or, or thoughts on how much customization is necessary uh, for mirrors mobile robots? Yeah, yeah. So the, uh, the video I showed during the introduction is, is all about our Mirror Go ecosystem. So we're our, we're an open platform. You know, we run off uh, of a 48 volt battery that we give access to. So for all these different types of applications and different types of facilities that we come across, we've we've got this ecosystem of top module solutions that customers can look at that are uh, really off the shelf components. So. They can say, if we need to interact with the conveyor, uh, there's a conveyor top module that can go on top of a mirror. Uh, it's really, you buy a mirror, buy this piece off the shelf, put it together, and you've got a, a solution there. If you need something that's going to lift a, a pallet up off the pallet racks, we've got a solution for that. So really trying to build out this ecosystem is what we're about for, for developing different types of solutions for all the different types of applications and industries we come across. And Lior, if you have any examples you want to share. Yeah. So we've been partnering up with some of the non-traditional folks out there in the industry. So for example, people are selling racks, people are selling totes, people are selling, you know, other aspects in the warehouse. And one of the things we've done is created NPO logic, which you can configure to the various workflows that are happening in the warehouse. Obviously, like we mentioned, no two warehouses are alike, and you have various workflows to do that. And in the past, right, it took a lot of uh, engineering time to take a system, right, and to code a different workflow for that warehouse. One of the things we've done is to make that very, very quickly, where we can actually uh, use a workflow within, you know, 10, 20 minutes, create that on the fly, test that out, and get feedback right away on that workflow and see if that works, and then being able to iterate. So we're sort of taking that same startup mentality of, you know, MVP into the warehouse. Uh, and making sure that the workflows that you're doing with the robots are actually helping you. A lot of times what we see is you might be able to introduce robots, for example, in the picking area, but if you don't take a, a look at the whole uh, aspect of it, which is you know, the pack out, 
the replenishment, then you might get stuck in one particular you know, area. It doesn't help you if you pick really quickly if you don't have the packers to get those orders out the door. And it doesn't help you, you know, if you don't have the replenishment aspect to go in and do the picking. So that's why getting that workflow is very, very important. And with our system, you're able to basically design the workflow that you need for your warehouse. And obviously with our partners, you know, being uh, providing the other aspects of the warehouse can really provide almost a warehouse in a box where you can deploy the system very quickly and then configure it to whatever workflow you're trying to achieve. Now, let me just remind our audience that uh, you definitely can pose questions or post questions. And also don't forget to check out the resources and feedback uh, portions of the interface. Um, we're talking about, we went from you know, the, the need for robotics to the customization in the environment, but now let's think for a moment about the, the users or the people working alongside these systems. What kind of questions are you getting um, and, and how much user education is necessary? Let me start with Matt Charles. Yeah, um, the, the amount of questions that we get, uh, I think we'd be here for another hour or so, but uh, you know, it's really about starting with, with one or two robots and, and getting them to scale is, is what most people are interested in. Is they get one robot in the facility, they create their, their maps, their missions, they get an understanding of how to optimize that one robot and how do they scale that to, to the rest of the system is really what we see. And I've got this kind of an overview here where uh, you, you look at what our system would look like. So you've got the robots in an environment communicating over Wi-Fi to an access point. And then connected to that access point is the, the, the fleet software, our, our server in the facility there. So it's, it's telling the robots where to go. Um, it's also synchronizing. So once you have that one robot that you've, you've got really primed and working well in the facility, you can add additional robots to that fleet and it synchronizes all the learning that you've taken from that robot and, and puts it onto these new vehicles as you add it in scale. Um, the other questions that come up are, are how to connect it and, and scale it and connect to other systems. So to SAP systems, ERPs, those kind of things. And, and that's really where we get into the communication uh, side with the REST API is what we use. And another thing that comes up all the time is interoperability and, and talking with other systems and you know, we're all different companies here and you know, how can we all work together into a manufacturing process? And so uh, I mentioned the, the Mirgo ecosystem earlier, but there's, there's systems there that are this piece of the puzzle to, to connect and control our robots and our fleet and, and database and store all that information and also communicate with the ERP systems as well. Um, so it can you know, do everything within our fleet to control and, and tell the robots where to go, um, but also it can, can work with other systems as well. So you know, really just in, engaging with us throughout this process, there's lots of questions that come up. We've got lots of different pieces of the puzzle to fit in to make everything work pretty seamlessly. And so these are just kind of some, some quick shot overviews of, of some of the systems that we see and questions that we get. Um, Matt, uh, Fitzgerald, did you have anything that you want to, to add to that in terms of uh, user education or, or how involved is that for your systems? It's a, you know, I talked about it a little bit before is the, there's the user education, the folks that are using it every day. So the, um, the associates that are picking with it and everything else, we want to make sure that's easy to use and, 
intuitive on-screen controls, so you don't have to really learn a new terms or language. It's very graphical based. But also, we also work with our customers to understand in their IT teams and other parts of their tech team to make sure, like Matt was saying, we can integrate well together with the other systems and execution layers in their warehouse. Because that's what it's all about, is really how do we all you know, play together to maximize the value for our customers. And we've got a number of examples of folks that have us tied into, you pick here, then you bring it over to this other piece of equipment that does this other process to it, and the, the product ends up shipping out the door. And we have a, a pack station that we also offer, and we have a sortation system. So it's all about understanding like what the customer need is, and our solutions team works with them to really define different options of how we can solve the problems they're seeing each day. So it goes beyond just the associate, but also to the warehouse management team and also um, the technical teams at the site. We work with all of them to make sure it's a easy deployment integration and easy to use. And Lior, I know you have, uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, understanding the use case as well. Uh, is there anything that you want to add? Yeah, definitely. So I think uh, for us, uh, we have a little bit more difficult time with the explaining the workflow because we have a very unique workflow, right? That picker wall, I'll actually play a little video from it here. And one of the things we're doing is getting to this really, really high um, productivity gain that a lot of people you know, question, how do we get to those type of levels? So you can see that right here where the person's picking from these totes. And one of the workflow that we have that everybody you know, asks the question is how the interaction works, right? And you can see there's a buffer, right? He's speaking from one side, the robots are operating on the other side. And that really allows us to run the robot as quickly as possible, manage the zones, manage the orders as we need to, and have the person go and pick from those locations and have the robots in some sense replan this. This is almost like a pick module that is very dynamic, that changes uh, with your volumes. So that's probably the biggest question that we get is how does this work, right? And you can see that here that it's operating at very, very high rates, right? Over 720 units per hour uh, for these, right? Touching as many totes as possible. The other aspects that we get is how do we work with multiple zones? How do I scale up from there, right? So oftentimes, right, we reduced everything to one or two people, but how do I scale up, right? I get a lot more orders, especially during peak, right? Where during peak, some of our customers get you know, sometimes four to five X at the average to almost 10 X the volume that they need. But they only need it for about a month, not for, a, you know, a very long period of time. So a lot of times, right, is where traditional automation, right, you basically build this huge system to only be useful for one month. And the question is, how do I do this in a more practical way? Well, that's again where our picker will really helps with that. What happens usually during this peak, there's a lot more batching, there's a lot more totes that are basically coming over and over and over again. And with this wall, what it allows us to do is basically leave the tote there and then not have to bring it you know, four or five times during that day. That in some sense gives us quite a bit of buffer with the same number of robots to operate in this sort of new environment, right? New workflow where instead of bringing one toad, you have one person, we're basically building one part, have a person pick it, build another part, have a person pick it, and have interleave this existing toads in between it. So one of the aspects that with our system that you're able to do is increase that productivity rate overnight, right? Those robots can now build things overnight, build these walls, build the ones that are staying consistent, either the second shift even or third shift, 
And again, during peak, a lot of our customers run 20 hours, so that's not a problem. And they get more of the robots to do it without the labor, because finding that labor right to work the midnight shift, one of our customers said, right, I don't, I don't, I don't have to deal with all the shenanigans now that happen at the, you know, the midnight shift. The robots are preparing everything for that day, right? So when the people come in the next day, they could be as productive as possible. So that is probably two of the biggest questions, right? How I deal with peak. With peak, there's a little bit different flow. Sometimes we do add maybe 20% more robots, but you can handle, you know, four to five X the volume with just that. Then the other aspect, you know, how do I get to these high level uh, rates is basically by laying everything in front of that person. Every single order is right there and they can just move as quickly as possible. Another thing about mobile robots is that they're also mobile sensor platforms. And uh, now uh, operators can get a new level of visibility into what's going on in the warehouse or fulfillment center than ever before. Uh, what are the sorts of data that businesses can now collect and analyze and hopefully uh, use for planning? Um, let's start with uh, Matt Fitzgerald on this. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, like we talked about earlier, the uh, Chuck robot has a number of sensors on it. You know, we were built like autonomous cars. We have LIDARs and cameras as all, all of our robots do, um, not just the Six River, but that allows us to do more. Like we can really analyze the traffic patterns of the warehouse. We can understand where there's congestion. We can understand where there's bottlenecks. We have the scanner built in so we can see the rates that people are achieving when they're picking with the robots. We have data that has heat maps of where we might see congestion and where hot, like hot aisles are, where there's a lot of congestion, there's a lot of picks. And we, we capture all that data and we have another product that people can use called the bridge to go and look at all the data that we've captured and really make some educated decisions based on data to be able to optimize their warehouse and maybe change their slotting or change their labor or flex their labor up or down depending on the needs of the day. So even though it has the cameras and sensors that make it safe, it's the whole system together between the robot and our software platform that really gives people the power to analyze the data of everything that's going on to make those uh, valuable changes to their warehouse operations. And, and Matt Charles, I know that uh, Mir has a, obviously a variety of accessories on top of its mobile robots. Um, and, you know, it can be in, in different use cases. What kinds of data are you collecting or, or sharing with your users? Yeah, it's pretty similar. <clears throat> you know, a lot of it is uh, product comes into a facility and most of the time people lose a lot of visibility into where that product is in the process and, and what's already been brought to the line, what's been picked up in the line and, and taken somewhere for storage. So for us, we can add that additional layer of tracking and tracing um, that you know, Matt kind of touched on as well, where it's, it's you can know where the product is throughout the, the process and know where the, uh, you know, the, the, the goods that are coming to the line, where they stand and how often that's been replenished. And um, also just the, the metrics of utilization of the robots to understand, hey, if I have 20 robots, my utilization is 60%, you probably don't need that many robots. So looking at that, understanding how the, uh, the materials flowing in the facility is, is really the main thing for us. And Leora, I know you mentioned earlier uh, the, uh, the fleet aspect, but also on the individual side. Uh, how are you looking at, at the data uh, in terms of utilization or in terms of uh, the flow? 
Yeah, thank you. Um, so one of the aspects that we're looking at all the time is which job should be done by the robot, by a person, uh, by a forklift driver, and making sure that all that is done as optimally as possible to get the items out the door as quickly as possible. So our NVO logic is really a WES or warehouse flow management system where we're basically taking every single aspect of the job. So whether it's a, you know, a, a movement of an item because you need to do a replant or you're doing it for picking or you need to work the hospital, that's where you're fixing orders, right? They're, you're missing some uh, items there. And we're taking all that and chaining it together and making sure our customers can achieve their SLA. That's in the end, the goal, right, of every one of our customers. So when our customers enter the information and they say, hey, we need to get these orders out by four o'clock because that goes through FedEx and these orders have to get out by seven o'clock because those go through UPS. So while we're doing everything, we can actually create a plan for that whole day, how to execute it as, as quickly as possible. But as Mike Tyson said, right, everybody has a plan till they get punched in the mouth. Well, we're replanning everything every five seconds based on data that we measure. So we're measuring people's productivity, how fast they're walking, how fast they're picking at one particular aspect. Uh, if somebody jumped on a phone for 15 minutes, we know that. And we actually redo the planning because if he was supposed to do a replant job with the robots, right, and get those items there, that job was meant for another picker, right, to pick from it and then another packer to pack from it. And you actually, if you view this in real time, you can see that delay waving through the warehouse and wasting everybody's time with that 15 minutes. So by redoing the task, rearranging the task, rearranging the plan that we're um, executing constantly to those effects, we're able to keep everybody as busy and just keeping that person that had that mistake, right? Even if they went and they came short, right? There's an item they're supposed to pick, that item not there. We're able to replan everything. So that replan is very important and measuring the data is extremely important for that replan, right? So we understand what's happening in the warehouse and how do we form a better plan and executing that, you know, every five seconds. And you mentioned service level agreements, which obviously leads to the, the question of robotics as a service, which you mentioned earlier, I think all your companies are familiar with. Uh, obviously, the RASP model allows uh, companies to transfer expenses from CapEx to OpEx. Uh, how is this different from renting or leasing robots? And, and where might uh, the RASP model be most useful? Because it's not ideal necessarily for every, every customer. Uh, Leor, why don't we start with you? Thank you. Yeah, so one of the things we've done very early on with our company is really try to align our incentive with our customers, right? And our customer's incentive is to get the orders out the door. It's not to manage robots. It's not to become IT people. It's not to become experts on robotics and, uh, you know, hire a bunch of PhDs. So we decided we're going to do that. But in order to do this, the way to align it is we had to take on the aspect of the productivity of the robot. This sort of frees us from saying, hey, you know what, we're going to give you 20 robots. Uh, you'll pay us X number of dollars a saving per month, which is more of a lease type of program. Uh, but you're in charge of the productivity, right? If the robots are not productive for whatever reason, that's on you. You still have to pay that X number of dollars. With our system, with the robotic as a service, the way we are offering it, is based on the productivity, making sure the robots are doing X number of deliveries per hour 
for that system, and that's where our customers pay us. So if the robots are not productive, it's up to us, right? Which is really hard. This is why, again, should the picker wall was invented because of this uh, RAS aspect. Because if you look at some installations, especially traditional um, systems, there are a lot of robots standing by. There are a lot of robots standing idle. And obviously that idle time is on the customer's point of view, right? Because if he bought the robots or he's uh, you know, leasing the robots, that's on his cost. Where if we're renting that productivity, that's on our cost. And that really required us to rethink the stuff. That's why we created that wall, that buffer, to allow the robots to continuously work even if somebody just, again, goes on the phone for 15 minutes, goes to the bathroom for 15 minutes. Um, and you can kind of see why a lot of companies uh, are, you know, with traditional automation, very adamant about somebody going to the bathroom because it's got millions of dollars of automation waiting on them. So obviously, you're right, with the robotic as a service, we own that productivity and allows us to really innovate and create various structures to make sure that both sides are productive, the robots and the people. Um. I see Matt Fitzgerald nodding. Did you want, you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I agree with everything Lior said. And, you know, some of the things we've, we focus on is, you know, part of our service is all about supporting you as well and also helping you optimize and how to make your, your system more efficient. And when it also gives people a step into uh, automation. You know, I've been to warehouses all over, you know, the U.S. and in Europe. And some some of them aren't automated. I'm sure some of the folks on here don't ha are on the call aren't automated yet. And this allows them to look at this as a, you know, an operating expense rather than a capital expense, and they can get up and running fast. We can usually deploy a system within a month, have associates trained in under a day, and you're pr productive right out of the gate. And it allows them to do that. And one of the other big benefits here that we, I think we've talked about is. It allows them to flex at peak times. You can quickly flex up and, and flex down if you need to. You know, we have a system and it's all using the same allocation and path planning. And if you need more robots because you're going to have more volume, then we can send you more robots and you just add them into the system. You don't have to, as Lior said, have uh, roboticists on staff or integration experts on staff. We can just ship you new robots and up your fleet and up your productivity to meet your flexing demands that you might have throughout the year. And, and Matt, do you have anything in terms of uh, the robotics as a service model? Uh, I know Mir has got a variety of things in the offers. Yeah, so, you know, the, the guys hit on a lot of really good points. <clears throat> um, for us, it, it really becomes part of a uh, an inclusive solution on extending warranty and service packages and building all that known cost into the, the robot. So. You know, really going to the the accounting groups and and you know CFOs of companies and saying this is going to be your dedicated cost for an, a guaranteed you know, X percent uptime robot over this five year period of time. So it includes the the SLAs, the <clears throat> the extended warranties, software update, twenty four seven support, all that stuff. It's really where we're seeing a lot of traction and interest in this. You know, that, that's a true leasing model versus the robots as a service, but that's really where we're seeing the most activity and interest on it. Well, and thanks for, for that insight. And uh, I think we'll go to audience questions now because I see a, a bunch of come in. And there is still time if you have a question to enter it in. Also remember to check out the resources and the survey for feedback. Um, and so as we look at some questions, and in fact, this is parallel to one that uh, I had 
discussed with, with some of you beforehand, um, with the trend of increased specialization, it's reasonable to expect warehouses and organizations will need a variety of robots from different manufacturers for efficiency. What's your strategy for interoperability? We know there's a number of standards in the works, like uh, Mass Robotics has the interoperability standard. There's also VMA 5050. Um, what are your thoughts on this? And let me start with Matt Charles. Yeah, so interoperability is becoming a thing that a lot of customers are looking into and asking for. Um, and, you know, ultimately, we've got a sweet spot. Everybody else has their own niches and sweet spots. So there's going to be applications where we're all needing to work together and pass information back and forth. And so uh, we really recognize that in order for customers to automate their entire operations, that everybody's going to have to be able to you know, have some standards to abide by. We we are, are, are very open ourselves with the REST API, and we've started to have collaboration with uh, AWS, Amazon Web Services, to interface with their RoboRunner, which is their Interfleet manager. And, um, you know, we're, we're really open to working with anybody, but that's kind of the, the initial collaboration that we're starting down the path of and, and gathering the requirements of our customers and, and determining what all needs to go into that Interfleet uh, manager right now. And here's a, a, another question that's come in. With the trend, or sorry, with how difficult is it to integrate an AMR fleet, uh, the software, with a company's ERP system? Uh, does this take weeks? Does it take days? How, how much of a challenge is that? Um, let me start with Lior for this one. Sure. So um, one of traditionally one of the most difficult part was to really try to integrate various systems together, and the reason for it is that both jobs, uh, both uh, sorry, both systems were just talking different languages, right? So one system talked in one API in one particular way, and another system talked with a different API with a different layer, and you have to hire an integrator or a developer to sit there and sort of translate the two. But at the same time, not only you're translating the two, you're also creating the workflow that is required. So if a robot comes into a particular location, does execute job X, then you have to go in and make sure that the system understands that, right? If we're updating inventory management in real time, like I said, if we're operating in this real time type of flow, uh, you got to make sure both systems are communicating. Uh, to that effect, we've created NVO Logic, which instead of saying, you know, we have APIs, we sort of code the existing ERPs into the, our own APIs, and you can create your workflows from there. So for example, the SLAs, right? Some ERPs don't even handle SLAs, they have priorities, uh, but you can translate those to SLAs through shipping. So for example, if you're saying, hey, you know what? Uh, my FedEx, right, orders have to be done by four. Well, that's some queries that you can actually just rearrange in a web UI very quickly and say, okay, if that matches at FedEx, then set the SLA to four o'clock. That allows our customers to integrate very, very quickly and get, and we've gotten, you know, we have systems up and running, uh, usually within a couple of months for all that workflow. Even and even though, like, it's really funny, right, the robot deployment themselves usually take a few weeks at the most, but the workflow itself, getting that right, that takes a while. Because, again, making sure that it's done correctly is very, very important. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. So, again, integrating with the uh, ERP, is not only important, I think, to do it quickly so you can get test that workflow, but also iterate throughout. We have customers that are constantly going out there and changing the workflow, right, as their needs progress, as sometimes, you know, they have a different workflow for whatever reason. Um, so it's not only the integration, it's also continuing 
and adapting right so you're not stuck with a very old system. And I have a question here, I think that is good for Matt Fitzgerald and, and Six River. Um, when there are more operators in a potentially small pick zone and there is a um, massive wave to be handled by operators and robots, how do you handle communication to make sure that people are following the right robot in the right sequence? It's a great question. So our robots, they, they get inducted. So we know how many robots are, are needed and we put the totes on there and each tote usually you know, might have a license plate number and it has a route that it has to go to. And our robots get staged that we call meeting points. These are oftentimes at the end of aisles on an end cap of the aisle. And the robots sit there and wait for someone to badge into them and start their picking. So, and then once you go through, I walk over to a robot, I badge into it. I follow the chuck, which optimizes the whole Six River system, optimizes the route through the pick path, considers where other robots are, considers congestion, considers productivity in the optimal pick path, and leads me as a picker through it. And at the end, the UI tells me like, basically you're done, I'm gonna autonomously travel to takeoff and you can go find another robot. And there's another robot staged at the end of the aisle and you can tell the scanner is flashing and people can see, oh, that robot's waiting for someone to badge into it. So you can quickly badge into that robot and take on the next one. So it's a very intuitive system that you pick up the robot you need, you follow it, it does the long walk to takeoff so you don't have to do that yourself and then you find the next robot and pick in your zone or area that you're in. And I have a question I think that is uh, good for perhaps Lior to start with. Uh, what data points or measurable actions, and this is sort of a follow on to what Matt was just talking about, uh, what data points or measurable actions do managers need to manage in order to improve their output performance? Yeah, so um, obviously from a very high level productivity, how many orders went out the door that day? And then the other aspect is how much of the labor and automation cost did it cost me to do this, right, to achieve it? And that's from a very high level. Now, running it on a day-to-day -day action, right, a lot of the warehouse managers have to understand where are the problems. And in fact, the way we see the warehouse of the future is that's what people are doing. People are actually, instead of doing robot tasks, they're actually solving problems for the robots, right? Robots these days are not capable of solving their own problems. This is this is what humans excel at. This is what humans love to do, right? We as people love to solve problems, makes us feel more fulfilled in the same task. Now, to understand that, you gotta get all that data in real time. So such as the not only the productivities of different uh, you know, regions, uh, job types, people, but also what is causing the delay in productivity is because the person went on uh, you know on a phone is it because something was short is it because you know something didn't happen i didn't get the replenishment that i needed to happen in time so we're making all that data visible as quickly as possible so you can make those decisions in real time and again that's because the clock is ticking right you got we got our you know green line for the sla all these orders have to work out the door and we're able to show which uh, tasks are red, which tasks you have to solve right now, because if you don't solve them, you will miss your SLA, which ones are yellow, ones that you know the system is gonna try to solve itself and try to figure out you know, the best of its ability, but if it can't, it will move it over to red. Uh, so again, so getting those uh, data points to the warehouse manager as quickly as possible um, and running, you know, a lot of times we run in a waveless operation, right? So everything is running 
on a piece by piece, like almost you know unit by unit, which shaman should be moved where. That coordination in the past is very difficult to done by people. That's where you know our machine, our system, like the AI system, is doing you know the best job it can. But any problems that it faces, right, every single second, that way gives the information to the warehouse manager to act on that information as quickly as possible. And I think here our last question is uh, from Matt Charles. Uh, not only obviously does Mirror provide multiple mobile robots, but you, you touched on the interoperability before. And uh, a couple of people have been asking, how do you handle traffic control over fleets of, of mixed vendor AMRs or multiple different AMRs in the same environment? Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's ultimately going to be the responsibility of this inner fleet, this uh, high-level control system that's out there. So, you know, our system will be responsible for, for our fleet of robots. We'll be passing data information, positional uh, data, to our fleet and then also to that, uh, that, that higher-level fleet controller that's controlling multiple fleets. And then that will be what's managing the traffic in different areas and um, you know, whether it's a robot or a fork truck with some sort of tracking device, you know, these types of these inner fleet managers will be able to track and, and give commands based on that in different zones of, of the facility. So it'd be a little bit out of our scope, but something that we would be just passing data to. Well, thank you, Matt and Lior and Matt, for sharing your insights. Uh, this has been a great conversation. and. Uh, for those of you who have submitted questions, um, be assured that we will make sure that they are passed on to the speakers to be answered one-on-one. Uh, thanks again, guys, for, for sharing your time with us today. And, thank you very much, uh, guys. I'd also like to thank Mobile Industrial Robots, Six River Systems, and Via Robotics. Again, uh, those of you watching, don't forget to... Uh, provide some feedback, and to check out the resources and downloads. Uh, this will be recorded and available on demand on Robotics 24-7, where you can find the latest developments in mobile robots and all kinds of automation. Uh, and until the next time, I'm Gene Dimitri, Editorial Director at Robotics 24-7, and thank you all for joining us.